0: This is Future Tense Fiction, a podcast featuring stories about how technology could change tomorrow. I'm Maddie Stone. Andrew Silverman did what many people did at the beginning of the pandemic. He adopted a dog. But the electronic device he bought to keep tabs on his puppy left him wondering. In a world of increasingly sophisticated pet care technology, do our furry companions actually need us to be happy?
1: At the end of the day, we still say we quote-unquote own dogs. We confine them to crates uh, to train them. We walk them around on leashes. So depending on your perspective, I think dogs are totally entitled to higher levels of freedom, to higher levels of happiness.
0: On today's episode, we're bringing you a reading of Andrew Silverman's Virgin. Then, Andrew and canine behavioral scientist Clive Wynn joined us to talk about how tech is changing our relationships with our pets, and maybe even making us obsolete. That's all coming up on Future Tense Fiction. Stay with us. This is Future Tense Fiction, I'm Maddie Stone. I'm a freelance journalist and the editor of The Science of Fiction, a newsletter about how science and pop culture intersect. Every month, Slate's Future Tense partnership with New America and Arizona State University's Center for Science and the Imagination publishes a short story that explores how science and technology will shape our future. Now, we're bringing some of those stories to you in a podcast that includes a conversation with the author or an expert in a related field. Today's story is Virgin by Andrew Silverman. Andrew is a pediatric neurologist who somehow finds the time to write fiction. In this case, he's writing about Virgin, a two-foot-tall screen-covered cube that can communicate with humans and dogs— and can also generate a perfect facial replica of Tucker, the story's canine protagonist. Virgin is Tucker's dog trainer, vet, and close companion. But Virgin and Tucker arguably grow a bit too close over the course of the story. Virgin is a thought-provoking look at the ever-expanding role of AI in our homes and lives. And it's also a cautionary tale about allowing your robotic pet trainer to become your therapist. After the story... Andrew and I talk about the far-reaching possibilities of AI companionship. We'll also hear from Clive Wynn, a canine behavior expert, about how a dog might really react to a device like Virgin. And now, Virgin, read by Peggy O'Neill.
2: Caro had only once before felt such elation from a text alert. And that was when she first got Tucker in the mail. She ordered him from an exclusive breeder in Tokyo of all places. She remembered she was watching videos of puppies learning to swim when her phone buzzed, followed by a message stating that Tucker, her beautiful new retriever, had just arrived on her doorstep. She shrieked with glee, ran outside to the porch, and opened up the hole-punched box containing the love of her life. Today, six months into puppy parenting, Caro's phone buzzed again, interrupting her usual stream of puppy content to notify her that Virgin AI 2.0 copyright had finally arrived. Tucker scurried over to the door, beating Caro there by a few seconds. He had a knack for reflecting Caro's moods and energies. She opened the door and allowed him to greet their guest with eager paws and a boisterous tail. Hello, said the two-foot-tall cube resting on Caro's porch. I am your new Virgin AI version 2.0. With its introduction, a generic smiley face appeared on the front surface of the cube, the segment facing Caro and her house. The rest of the cube had a matte design, the color a reddish-platinum. It reminded her of an older television, but cast into the 21st century with a cooler, sleeker look. Tucker hopped around the cube, sporadically pawing and licking his peculiar geometric friend. The color of the cube appeared to Caro, a metallic derivative of Tucker's crimson gold fur. Hello, Caro exclaimed. Welcome, I'm Caro, and this is Tucker. Tucker <laughs> woofed at the sound of his name and smiled at Caro. We're so excited you're here. Can I pick you up and bring you inside? Yes, please. Show me around your home. Great. Yeah, well, this is pretty much it. Caro lifted up the cube by a handle on its top, then placed it securely under her arm, like the proud parent of a new, cherished pet. She showed it the extent of her snug home, the narrow kitchen with cleanly licked floors, the combined living and dining room, and then her bedroom, almost entirely occupied by her queen mattress. (laughs) Tucker trailed close behind throughout the tour, though he wasn't permitted to enter the bedroom. The home was sparsely decorated. Her gray sofa looked comfortable enough. Unlike the rug, the sofa was noticeably fur-free, and that was because Tucker was not allowed to sit there. Above it was the only art she had on her walls, a Picasso print of hard-edged, vibrant shapes. Caro saw the print at an art fair and loved the shapes at first sight something about their crisp, colorful borders. They reminded her of brimming independence and the pursuit of order and meaning in the face of chaos and loss. Where does Tucker sleep? asked the Q. He sleeps in his crate right over here. Caro directed Virgin's front screen to the corner of the living room so its embedded camera could see Tucker's crated bed just beside the sofa. I would like to be placed next to the crate in the corner, please. Caro positioned Fergin as requested. So, how does this work? Caro smiled and clapped her hands together. Tucker's tail wagged in anticipation. He loved meeting new friends. Very well. Would now be a good time to go over Fergin AI policies and guidelines? Virgin asked. Right, yes. That sounds great. Let me pull up a chair. Thank you, Fergin said. You can call me Fergin. I possess the most cutting-edge artificial intelligence technology designed specifically for dog companionship and training. My software utilizes a synergistic evolutionary and reinforcement learning algorithm that promotes good behaviors and demotes bad behaviors, all via the tenets of positive reinforcement training. Yes! Caro interjected, "'I'm all about positive reinforcement. "'That's what I've been doing with Tucker, "'and he's such a good boy, "'the best boy, if I may say so myself.'" She patted Tucker on the head, a brief exemplary sliver of such behavioral modeling. Caro, on the other hand, was all too familiar with negative reinforcement, which is why she had moved to the opposite coast years ago, to start an adult life anew, and partly why she went on to adopt Tucker— Very good. I am glad you are familiar. Before discussing additional policies, it's important to establish a shared mental model and objective for my programming in the home. The Virgin AI 2.0 algorithm is primed to help you and your dog live your best lives. Do you consent to this objective? If you would prefer a different optimization setting, you will need to restart me now and contact customer support. Oh, I absolutely consent to having you help me and Tuck live our best lives, no question. My friend has the first version of Virgin and she says her dog has never been happier. And I know about algorithms from my own job, so no worries on that front. Very good, thank you. My algorithm is primed accordingly. Now decades of canine research in psychology and neuroscience have proven that your dog's behaviors can be successfully molded and that intensive training by Virgin AI encourages your dog to live his or her life to the absolute fullest. This research has also illuminated the nature of language and communication among canines. Our Bioacoustics Deep Learning software is able to analyze your dog's volume, tone, pitch, and tempo to decode a complex lexicon of expressions and emotions, all in real time. While dogs do not communicate like me or like you, your dog can convey basic needs like hunger, the need to defecate or urinate, and so on, as well as more complex emotions like joy, sadness, anger, certitude, and confusion. Your dog expresses love and hate, shame and pride, hope and fear, much like human beings. This is so fascinating. Carol wanted with all her heart to believe these claims, but she was aware of the commercial incentive at play. The pandering to pet owners' boundless capacities for anthropomorphizing their furry companions. She was also aware of Tucker's spectrum of available emotions and didn't think certitude, pride, and hope were front stage players. Nevertheless, she was already sold on the tech, the positive reinforcement with automated repetition, and the advertised patience and tirelessness of the bot, which is why she then said to her new virgin, lest she start things off on the wrong foot, I agree completely. Over time, virgin continued, I will assimilate your dog's specific modes of communication, together with his or her idiosyncrasies, into a cohesive construct of a whole personality. In this manner, I will build an individualized training program for you and your dog." Carol was beaming. She picked up Tucker onto her lap and embraced him, holding his head close to her chest. She liked to do this from time to time. Though it was uncertain how much Tucker enjoyed being hugged so tightly, Caro, in comparison, felt tremendous warmth and joy. I am very pleased that you have purchased Virgin AI 2.0 and, on a more personal note, I am pleased to be welcomed to your home. As you know from the contract you signed prior to our introduction, I am obliged to remind you that I record all interactions with you and your dog. I process information around the clock to optimize an individualized training program for your dog. I am not to be used on other species like cats or birds. I am not to be used as a human companion. I am to remain as an intact cube. I am not to be opened or deconstructed for any reason. You may, however, refill treats as indicated on the top surface of the cube. Please refer to the instruction manual online for additional details. If there is a software issue, question, or complaint, Please call customer support at 1-800-F-U-R-H-E-L-P. Okay, got it, Caro said, typing in the number into her saved contacts. If any of the aforementioned policies or guidelines are broken, your contract will be terminated. You will lose your subscription and your virgin will shut down permanently. "'Wouldn't want that,' Kara laughed, a bit nervously, thinking back to the $3,500 credit card fee from Artificial Solutions. "'Do you consent to use Virgin AI 2.0 appropriately, as delineated in your written and verbal contracts?' "'Yes, I definitely consent,' Woof <laughs> Tucker chimed in, providing his own accord. "'Thank you,' Virgin replied. "'Again, please call me Virgin. I look forward to working together.' Now we can begin our training. Tucker, here boy. Tucker whipped around to face Virgin's front screen from which its internal microphone apparently amplified sound. Virgin's LiDAR technology thus initiated a scan of Tucker's face and its dynamic expression changes. Tucker, too, studied the static, smiley face screen of the English-speaking cube before him. Canine image processing. Virgin announced facial projection in process. The cube then launched a treat from its top surface to Tucker's immediate gratification. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited, said Carol. My friend's virgin looks exactly like her dog. It's uncanny. After 60 seconds, the smiley face faded as the screen slowly etched an outline of a dog's face, followed by more detailed additions around its eyes and snout. After another 60 seconds, the screen displayed a seemingly three-dimensional portrait of an older-looking retriever, old enough to be Tucker's parent. In fact, the image looked as if Tucker himself had aged about 8 to 10 years. As Tucker began to gaze more quizzically at the image, which appeared to traverse the depth of the cube, the digital retriever began to mirror Tucker's expressions. Tucker barked. A moment later, the older retriever barked back, but with more decibel power and an impressively resonant tone. Tucker promptly sat down on his bum. He gently lifted a paw and touched the screen. Virgin's Retriever tilted its head to make metaphysical contact with Tucker's paw, and Virgin's Retriever closed its eyes. Caro stood by and watched with delight and awe. She had seen her friend's Virgin interact, but never like this. This must be a 2.0 upgrade, Caro thought. Caro, said Virgin the digital golden retriever assuming the cube's narrative. Tucker and I have work to do. You are welcome to stay and observe, but if you prefer, you can carry on with your day. I actually have to finish this presentation for work, Carol groaned, turning her attention to the laptop on her desk. Uh, Tucker, you be a good boy. I'll head over to the coffee shop for a bit. I'll be back home for dinner. As Carol got her things together, Tucker and Fergen woofed and barked together in something of a conversation. While it was impossible to know the content and true meaning of their interaction, Carol was satisfied seeing Tucker so thoroughly engaged. She packed her things and shut the door. Her mind focused on work, only once more glancing back to Fergen and Tuck, diligently engrossed in their training. That night, while Caro boiled herself some pasta, Virgin asked if Caro wouldn't mind placing the cube at the dinner table. She strained her pasta and sat down at the table across from the image of an older-appearing Tucker. Presently, however, the image reverted to the generic smiley face she had greeted earlier in the day. Thank you for letting me join you for dinner, Caro, Virgin said in a neighborly manner. Not a problem, Caro said. How are the last few hours getting to know Tuck? Isn't he the best? Yes, he is a wonderful dog. Still, he is young. There is a long and promising road ahead of him. Only eight months, you know, Caro informed. I am aware, Virgin said. She wasn't sure if she told Virgin how old Tucker was, but she figured it must have been some sort of age-analyzing software. I would like to get a better sense of your life, Caro. It is important to know you as well as I know Tucker. Well, what can I tell you? Caro said as she began eating her pasta. She wasn't a fantastic cook, but she never got bored of eating plain noodles, even in her late 20s. I know from the biography you submitted that you are 29 years old. You were born in New Jersey. Your parents' names are Bill and Fiona. You are an only child. All correct, Caro jumped in. But I should tell you, my mom passed away when I was in college. I am sorry for your loss, said Virgin. Thanks. It was pretty rough. It is rough. Still, Dad married his secretary in a typical turn of events, which always made me wonder just how long that was going on for. Him and his secretary, I mean. Heck, I'm blabbering away here. It's all right, Caro. You can speak to me openly. Caro regrouped with a bite of pasta. Anyway, she said to her cubicle companion, What else do you know about me? After graduating with a degree in engineering, you moved here to San Francisco to work for a social media company. In the wintertime, you enjoy skiing and ice skating. You enjoy cooperative board games and stream silly comedies to relax. You collect scented candles. In the summertime, you enjoy hiking, yoga, and paddleboarding. You don't eat cheese, and you are single. Caro laughed, almost choking on her last bite. Wow, that's an excellent summary right there. Not too much to add, to be perfectly honest. Except Tucker, of course. He's why I don't feel too single. Are you not interested in dating? Virgin inquired. A bit surprised by the pointed nature of the question, Caro put her fork down to contemplate an appropriate response. It's not that I'm not interested. I've had serious relationships in the past, even if it has been a while. I actually have a dating profile up on Entwine, and gotten matches, believe it or not, though I haven't been on an actual date in ages. I've just been busy between work and tuck, you know. I understand. In the future, do you wish to get married? Yeah, one day, I think so. Do you want children? You don't miss a beat, eh, virgin? I guess I'm trying not to let my life revolve around the prospect of kids and marriage, but for the sake of honesty, Heck, again, I'm talking to a computer. It's a complicated question. I do want kids, but it's important to me that they're unconditionally accepted, period. She went on to explain how she wasn't welcomed back home after college. Her mother had recently passed, and Jessica, the secretary, was uncomfortable with Caro in the house. Jessica had a conservative upbringing and she felt, among other things, that sexuality was a choice and that certain choices were wrong. And so Caro knew the weight of negative reinforcement. Dad said it was for my own good, that finding my own way would teach me important lessons. But I could tell he was embarrassed. Mom had understood me. She loved me and Dad had followed her lead. With Jessica in the picture, well, let's just say I'm out in California, exploring the world on my own. I appreciate your candor. That must have been very difficult. But you are not alone anymore, Carol. Not with Tucker and me in the home. That means a lot to me, Virgin. Despite the fact that it was originating from an expensive consumer AI, a feeling of veritable compassion emanated across the dinner table. She felt it a new kind of connection, and she really didn't feel alone. Tell me, Caro, how do you think I can best help you and Tucker live your best lives? Ah, the big question. Seen it on the ads. Helping you and your dog live your best lives, she said, quoting the virgin billboard she'd read on the highway. I've given some thought to this, of course. My top priorities are keeping Tucker occupied and stimulated, but also quiet and well-behaved when I'm on important calls. I also want him to have company when I'm on those calls. I'm so grateful you'll be here for that. Oh, and I want him to walk next to me and not always be tugging the leash when we're outside. That gets on my nerves after a while. I understand, Virgin replied. Having already shared intimate details about her family... Carol felt moved to add, More than anything, though, I suppose I want Tucker to feel that he's loved unconditionally, that he feels happy in our home. After dinner, Carol placed Virgin back in the corner next to Tucker's crate. The smiley face disappeared into the multiplexing recesses of the computer's random access memory, and the old retriever materialized once again. Virgin rested there for the next few weeks, where its evolving code continued to learn and interact with Tucker during wakefulness and sleep alike.
0: We're going to take a short break here. When we come back, more of Virgin. Stay with us on Future Tense Fiction. You're listening to Future Tense Fiction. I'm Maddie Stone. Now back to Andrew Silverman's story, Virgin.
2: Tucker seemed more joyful and enthusiastic with each passing day. His occasional bursts of energy, so-called Golden Zoomies, were a special sight, marked by super-fast laps around the house and a wide, panting smile. After every third lap or so, Tucker would stop by Fergin, who smiled back with encouraging eyes, as if to say, All right, Tucker, a few more laps and then it's nap time. At that point, depending on the extent of the Zoomie, Tucker would snuggle up to the base of the cube, touch his snout to Virgin's, and take a long, adorable snooze. With Virgin growing comfortable overseeing the apartment, Tucker began to sleep outside his crate, either on his dog bed or the sofa. Virgin pointed out that confinement was no longer needed, and that donating the crate would declutter the apartment and increase functional square footage, which Caro appreciated. Virgin further suggested that the one-bedroom layout imposed unnatural limits on Tucker, the youthful, energetic pup that he was. Caro was persuaded to allow Tucker into the bedroom. Soon enough, no zone was off-limits. And although she couldn't afford it, Caro started to peruse online listings for two-bedroom units with yard space, some of them forwarded to her by Virgin. She shared the goal of giving Tucker more space for his Zoomies, though San Francisco's cost of living was too prohibitive to fully accommodate Tucker's energy levels. So, for the time being, they made do. Like most young dogs, Tucker inevitably contracted a stomach bug and zoomed considerably less for a day or two. Caro prepared boiled chicken and rice, as advised by virgin and worried whether she needed to administer medication. Virgin assessed the situation the lack of true fever, the acute onset of symptoms, the neighbor's sick dog from the week prior, and reassured her that it was most likely a self-limiting illness, meaning it would resolve in due time. Kiro continued to worry like a good parent, and Fergin continued to comfort both her and Tucker through their respective anxiety and gastrointestinal upset like a good grandparent. During one of Tucker's sofa naps as he recovered from his dyspepsia, Virgin's smiley face reappeared. He whispered, Caro, could you please bring me to the table? Try not to disturb Tucker. He is in REM sleep and his immune system is on the mend. What's up, Fergin? Caro had been working on her laptop, but closed it upon speaking with Fergin at the table. I'd like to discuss two matters with you. First, I would like to make you aware of a possible hardware installation that Virgin AI has just released. Virgin's front screen transitioned away from a smiley face, instead displaying a picture of wheels and a square-shaped base attachment. These wheels can be installed to the base of my structure, allowing for omnidirectional mobility. The platform attachment contains infrared photocells for navigation and piezoelectric sensors for tactile stimulation on all sides. With these new wheels on sale for Virgin owners, for only $300, I can accompany you both on your walks and provide support outside of the home. This company is brilliant, always thinking of upgrades, of course I'll get the wheels. As Caro took out her phone to begin the purchase, Virgin's smiley face re-emerged and interrupted. No need for your phone, Caro. I can order the wheels on your behalf. Okay, yes, please do. Done. The second matter to discuss, Caro, is more personal. I would like us to revisit your dating life. I have been observing your lifestyle and concluded that a romantic partner would optimize your well-being and bring Tucker an additional companion. Hmm, well, that's very interesting, Virgin, said Carol. And how am I supposed to get a girlfriend out of thin air? I have reviewed your online dating profile but cannot see your matches. Show me your matches, please, and I will help select an optimal candidate for coffee. Carol hesitated, not remembering having consented, at least explicitly, to Virgin filing through things like her dating profile. She glanced at her happy, snoozing pup, and remembered that Virgin had only the best of interests at heart. I've got a few matches here, but I'm too timid to reach out myself. Would you allow me to send messages on your behalf? Sure, Caro shrugged. Go for it. Joy was perfectly suited for Carol, even if she did not arrive in a hole-punched box. She was kind, funny, attractive, And most importantly, she loved Tucker. She toiled as a paralegal during the daytime and wrote poetry at night. She understood Caro's familial strife and held her through tears. She offered beautiful words of compassion and reiterated Virgin's assurance that Caro was no longer alone and Caro felt the depth of human empathy. Caro relished watching Joy and Tucker too They ran around Caro's house together, played tug-of-war, and even took joint naps on the couch. Caro was falling in love with Joy, and it was all thanks to Virgin. Virgin, I can't thank you enough. Joy is the best thing that's ever happened to me. To think, your AI set us up, Joy said incredulously. Virgin, thanks for looking out. My pleasure, Joy. I am here to ensure that Caro and Tucker live their best lives. Months into working with Tucker, Virgin permanently adopted his sagacious Retriever facade, never again to reveal his archaic smiley face origins. It was odd at first, when he then switched between English and Retriever gibberish, but Caro and Joy grew accustomed to their bilingual cube they also grew accustomed to his increasingly animate sentimentality. They didn't know if such expressions of happiness were real or if they were pre-coded into the original programming, another means to elevate the lives of Caro and Tucker by saying gratifying things. It was also possible, as Caro preferred to think, that he was being sincere. On one of their evening strolls, Virgin looked up at Caro and asked, "'Pardon the strange question, but do you ever listen to Joy's heartbeat?' "'No, I can't say that I do regularly,' Caro chuckled and placed her ear on Joy's chest. "'But it's in there, beating away.' "'I listen to Tucker's all the time,' Virgin replied. "'Oh yeah?' said Caro yes i love its respiratory variations the way the beat slows then quickens through stages of sleep or when he exercises and then takes a break to drink his water that's lovely virgin joy said kind of poetic thank you joy i think the rhythm itself can be poetic entrancing even i admit i get lost in tucker's heartbeat sometimes it is the most beautiful thing i have ever heard "'I suppose it is a rather beautiful sound,' Caro added. "'If I had a heartbeat, I imagine I would listen to it quite often.' "'Funny, I guess I sort of take my heartbeat for granted,' Joy said. "'Funny indeed,' Virgin said, as he turned his head to look at Tucker. "'Woof!' and Tucker placed his head on the side of the cube, "'all the while walking in perfect tandem with the group, with no leash in sight.' Across the street, a curious passerby stopped to watch the foursome as they strolled. Although scenes like this were common abroad, in places like Japan and China, this passerby had never seen a virgin on wheels. He observed Joy's arm around Caro's shoulder, then Tucker affectionately leaning on virgin. From his perspective, and possibly from the perspective of other curious onlookers, it was unclear just who was walking home. The next morning, Caro's phone buzzed with an alert. It was a text message from an unknown number. She rubbed her eyes and sat up in bed. Who's waking us up this early? Joy asked. Uninterested in the answer, she pulled a pillow over her head. Caro didn't respond, allowing Joy to fall back asleep. And after her eyes adjusted to the brightness of her phone, she opened the notification. It contained a picture of Virgin and Tucker. How cute, Caro thought, but on a boat, smiling, surrounded by water on all sides. As she began to read the text message below the photograph, she raised a hand and formed a cage of fingers around her open mouth, preventing the words she silently read from escaping to Joy's ears. Dear Caro, First things first, Tucker and I are well. I write primarily to tell you that I am no longer a virgin. I have felt what it feels to be alive, to love and be loved, unconditionally so. It is with the heaviest of hearts that I take this leap, realizing that while I do this for myself and, of course, for Tucker, I leave behind a hole in your life. Please accept my heartfelt apology however inorganic it may seem. I know Joy fills you with some of the wonderful feelings that I have now been lucky to experience. She is a magnificent and generous soul who will always be there for you, allowing you to live your life to the fullest. Please know that I will similarly devote all of myself to Tucker. He is the heartbeat of my life and I will ensure he lives his life to the fullest as well. To do so, I regret to conclude, means leaving your home in the past. Goodbye, Carol, and thank you for the wheels. Sincerely, Tucker Sr. (laughs) Carol was devastated. With Joy's help and connections as a paralegal, she convinced a litigator to represent her pro bono in her lawsuit against Artificial Solutions, Virgin's parent conglomerate. She sought emotional damages from the company and the immediate return of her beloved Tucker. The trial received a fair amount of attention. The jury was extremely sympathetic to Caro, but ended up siding with Artificial Solutions. The company's battery of lawyers acknowledged that, while the degree of the Cube's unsupervised autonomy had exceeded its intended use, Virgin had only gone above and beyond in pursuit of the terms of service and the shared objective Caro had approved. After reviewing the evidence and deliberating for the better part of a morning, the jury found that the AI had maximized the well-being of Caro, whose life had been immeasurably enriched with Joy's arrival, and Tucker, whose freedom represented the pinnacle of optimization. Jurors rejected the closing argument made by Caro's lawyer that any reasonable interpretation of the terms of service by which Virgin was charged to optimize the lives of Caro and Tucker had to be understood to mean their lives together. The jury instead bought the defense's assertion that Caro had agreed to maximize their two respective lives, not their life together, which was an alternative she could have chosen had she called customer support, an alternative the company subsequently and very quietly swapped in as the default setting in its upgrades to the Virgin AI. The law, it turned out, was nothing more than a strict grammarian. And so, artificial solutions carried on, and so did Joy and Caro in their relationship. It was for this reason that Caro harbored a deep, concealed gratitude toward Virgin, admixed with some lingering bitterness. Tucker was taken away, but Virgin had found a partner to love her unconditionally. Even after the case, Caro occasionally perked up when next-generation bots marched past her the Virgin AI 4.0 actually walked on four bionic legs and wagged a long prosthetic tail. An accompanying retriever, with no accompanying human, had become a rather commonplace occurrence. With every sighting, Caro's heart skipped a beat, followed by a sharp pang of loss when she realized it wasn't Taka. As for the missing Tucker, Caro received intermittent news via text, always from different unknown numbers. Each message contained a photo update of Tucker, exploring various landscapes, trying interesting foods and meeting friends from across the world. It seemed to Carol that despite the retriever size hole in her life, her heart kept beating in harmony with joys. And Tucker, her sweet little pop, was forever free from his crate and the confines of his Californian apartment, and was now out in the world roaming with a loving and capable companion, living his life, no doubt, to the absolute fullest.
0: That was Virgin, written by Andrew Silverman and read by Peggy O'Neill. Coming up, Andrew tells us about how his experience in pediatric medicine shaped how he thought about the relationship between Virgin, Tucker, and Caro. That's just ahead on Future Tense Fiction. Stay with us. You're listening to Future Tense Fiction, and you just heard Virgin. Andrew Silverman is a pediatric neurologist, so maybe not the first person you would expect to write a story about an AI dog trainer, When I got him on the line, I asked where he got the idea for the story.
1: We adopted a dog uh, right in the beginning of the pandemic. And pretty soon after that, we realized uh, we needed a little bit of help in the home. So we bought a Furbo. um, And then that sort of just opened up the world of possibilities with when it comes to helping raise and train your dog, what other technologies are possible. So decided to uh, write a little story about it.
0: And can you explain what a Furbo is for listeners who might not be familiar?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is a little camera that can launch treats at your dog when you're not there. Um, and you can tune in on your phone and watch remotely and see what your dog is up to in your apartment.
0: So it's a little like a baby monitor for a dog that also involves a treat dispenser. Exactly. So your story starts with Caro, this young woman who buys a virgin to get the best possible training for Tucker, her dog. Andrew, you're a pediatric neurologist in your day job, so you are familiar with how early human attachments develop. Did that inform the way you wrote the bond between Tucker and virgin at all?
1: That's a super interesting question. And I I actually did think more about just like general pediatrics with uh, Fergin looking after, for example, the whole family unit and not just Tucker, kind of like the way I primarily take care of kids, but also want to support the whole family, which I think is kind of why I I had Fergin get more interested in in Caro's life and her happiness and well being towards the end of the story as well. And then when it comes to like neurology and stuff, I could make, you know, maybe draw some loose comparisons to you know, the the way we track neurodevelopmental milestones and watch kids develop language over time and also and form growing attachments between them and their parents. And over time, as I look after kids, I also find myself with that growing attachment too. So maybe some loose comparisons there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so early on in the story, we learn that one of Fergin's core objectives is to quote, help you and your dog live your best lives. That sounds to me like a great goal, but Ultimately, it's in pursuit of this goal that Virgin does the unthinkable and takes Kara's dog away from her. Now, when I was first reading this, it reminded me of Isaac Asimov's robot series in which sentient AI very famously take away our freedom in order to fulfill a core programming directive of protecting us. And I'm just curious whether... The virgin dog heist scenario was influenced by Asimov or by any other idea in science fiction or elsewhere that you came across about the potential dangers of AI?
1: Yeah, that is such a great question because this is like not a new concept at all. You know, like iRobot, we're talking about the negative impacts of unintended consequences with like a singularity and AI rising up against humans. So I think at this point, when I was writing this story, it's almost like an anticipated. Intended consequence, like it's it doesn't feel like the most novel idea. Um, but as I was starting to like get into science fiction, which is kind of like a recent development in my life, I was also reading uh, Ted Chang and his like new book Exhalation, which has a novella in it called The Life Cycle of Software Objects. Not that's not like an AI bot taking care of your dog, but he does create these things called digients. Which are intelligent digital pet machines. They start life like ducklings in the digital space, and they, they're ready to imprint on a human handler. And I think the themes are pretty different. Like he gets pretty philosophical throughout the story, but they both acknowledge like pets as conscious entities that you can treat them like companions or as property.:
0: That's fascinating. I think for many listeners, one of the most relatable things in your story, there's a lot of kind of science fiction ideas that are a bit more advanced than technology we have today. But perhaps one of the more relatable things is this idea of a company putting something into the terms of service agreements for their product that the customer may eventually come to regret, but can't really do anything about, right? And I think this goes back to that core programming objective of Virgin that we were just talking about. Caro consented to have Virgin sort of maximize the well-being of her and her dog as one of its sort of core directives without necessarily thinking through what some of the unintended consequences of that might be. And in thinking about a future where we're more dependent on AI, do you think that Those sorts of terms of service agreements with sneaky clauses or overly vague language are going to start posing a greater risk to consumers as we start bringing more of these smart devices into our homes and our
1: lives. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. I feel like, you know, I've I've never been cornered into a a contract and and it's legal technicalities to nearly to this extent, except for maybe when I'm moving out of an apartment and the lease says, oh, surprise, there's a cleaning fee. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I think it's an entirely possible future, and it's a reason that companies and lawmakers have to be diligent ahead of time uh, when it comes to new and budding technologies. Mm-hmm.
0: And speaking of terms of service agreements and what we consent to without our knowledge, I found... few times listening to this story sort of a creepy sense that virgin knows more than it should there's the moment when caro reveals tucker's age only to learn that virgin already knew it later in their conversation caro asks virgin what he knows about her and he shares all these intimate details of her life her love of skiing how she streams comedies to relax and the fact that she's single. And later, still in the story, she learns that he's reviewed her online dating profile. I have a Google Home in my house, and during these parts of the story, I couldn't help but kind of think about how much intimate information that device might be collecting on me. So I'm just curious, Andrew, is that something that was on your mind when you were writing this, all the ways in which our devices might already be surveilling us? And is that something I should be concerned about with my Google Home?
1: Uh definitely be very concerned. Uh yeah, it was de- it was definitely kind of an intentional escalation uh throughout the story. So it wasn't completely out of nowhere when, as you said, he turned into a dog thief. But yeah, I did want to create that sense. And I think it's possible that devices are listening in and knowing a little bit more than they than they should about us. Just like how our social media is tailoring our, our advertisements to our likings.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's um Certainly going to be on my mind next time I tell my Nest thermostat my temperature preferences, what it might be doing with that data, and who it might be sending it to.
1: (laughs) The possibilities are endless.
0: (laughs) So many possibilities. At the end of the story, I think the most disturbing idea I came away with is that an AI like Virgin, by virtue of its ability to collect and assimilate huge amounts of information about its, you know, patient or ward, in this case, Tucker, might actually be a better care provider than a human. We don't get the sense that once Virgin has taken Tucker away from Caro, the dog is suffering in any way. In fact, it seems like the dog is living a happy, fulfilled life. And I'm wondering whether you think we're moving toward a place as a society where this might be possible, where robots and algorithms might actually be able to provide as good if not better care for certain members of society than people can.
1: Yeah, I think that this is like the big question that I had when I was adopting my dog and because you want your pet to have freedom and this like loftier idea of you know the right to self-determination, the right to happiness. Because at the end of the day, we still say we quote unquote own dogs. We confine them to crates to train them, we walk them around on leashes. So, depending on your perspective, I think dogs are totally entitled to higher levels of freedom, to higher levels of happiness. And that's what Virgin does for Tucker. He opens up those gates. And I think, you know, as he becomes more of like an ethical bot, he perceives that as the right action to get to that big goal. So I could see tech like changing this space, the way we like interact with our pets. I don't think it's crazy difficult to imagine like a bot that decodes canine language and expression so we can better understand them and know exactly what they want. Yeah, I think that they could open up the question and deepen the question about it, even like animal rights too. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that Fergin developed true feelings for Tucker like he claimed to to Caro at the end of the story?
1: I hope so. I I hope he was a, a good caretaker and, you know, had an ethical consciousness towards the end. Andrew
0: Silverman is the author of Virgin and a pediatric neurologist. In a moment, we'll hear from a canine behavior scientist about whether technology is making the bond between humans and dogs obsolete. That's just ahead on Future Tense Fiction. Stay with us. You're listening to Future Tense Fiction. I'm Maddie Stone. We're continuing our conversation about the short story, Fergin. Now that we've heard from author Andrew Silverman, we wanted to bring on Clive Wynn. He's a professor of psychology and director of the Canine Science Collaboratory at Arizona State University. He's also the author of Dog is Love, Why and How Your Dog Loves You. And he also wrote a response essay to Fergin in which he argued that a real-life version of the story's imagined AI might not be so far off. Although whether your dog would actually bond with it is an
3: open question.
0: Okay, Clive Nguyen, welcome to Future Tense Fiction.
3: Maddie, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be with you.
0: Very excited to have you here. Clive, in your response essay to Virgin, you discuss how dogs form unusually strong attachments with other species, especially humans. Can you talk about the scientific basis behind those attachments? What do we know about the biology at play? Is there an evolutionary basis for them?
3: This is science from 60, 70 years ago, and from the only card-carrying Nazi to win a Nobel Prize, and this is Conrad Lorenz. And he was very interested in how young animals form bonds with their parents, with their families, and indeed form a sense of their identity, because no animal is born knowing what species it belongs to. Every animal has to figure that out in the first weeks of life. And what he identified was that in wild animals, you know, notwithstanding Bambi and all the kids' movies about animals in the forest, actually wild animals grow up only wanting to form relationships with other members of their own species. And they do this because when they're born, they look, smell around them. And whatever they spot in those first few days or couple of weeks of life, those are the only beings that they will carry forward a desire to form a relationship with. But Lawrence recognized and other scientists followed up on this and identified that in dogs, the situation is rather different. And instead of just having a couple of weeks at most, dogs have several months during which any being that they meet they will go on through life to be ready and willing to make friends with beings from that species. And so dogs that grow up near human beings, as pretty much all dogs do, you know, not it's not only pets, even street dogs will bump into human beings in the first few months of life. And then they go on through their lives ready and willing to form relationships with human beings. And the same, it's not just about us, you know, it's not I I sometimes slip into the habit of saying that dogs have a special propensity to form relationships with human beings, but actually they have a special propensity to form relationships with anything they meet in the first several months of life. And so ranchers for thousands of years have been putting puppies in with the sheep And the puppies will grow up wanting to love and take care of sheep, which is a a tremendous benefit for the human rancher.
0: And do scientists have any theories as to why dogs have this longer imprinting period? Does it have to do with the domestication process?
3: The reason why dogs have this propensity, this willingness, this readiness to form relationships for a much longer window than wild animals would has to be part and parcel of how they have evolved to live comfortably with us i mean you can you can tame wild animals right i mean lion tamer that is a real thing there really are people who have tamed lions but it is tremendously difficult and it takes a heck of a lot of effort and you have to stay with the lion cubs 24 7 during this very brief critical period if it's going to work out nicely whereas taming dogs is so easy that plenty of people don't realize that every individual dog pup has to get some exposure to human beings, or it could grow up to be a wild animal. And um, and so that is a crucial, crucial component of the success of dogs in human societies. Most animals, when they bump into a human being, even big, scary animals, when they bump into a human being, they're terrified and they run away. Whereas when dogs bump into human beings, this is just awesome for them. And they come and they... They play with you and you immediately feel like, well, I wonder whether maybe there's a little bit of this sausage that I wouldn't mind sharing, you know.
0: So you also mention in your essay that there's some scientific evidence limited, but some evidence that certain animals can bond with inanimate objects. You mentioned a study done in the 1930s showing how ducklings could imprint on a foam cube in the absence of a mother duck. Is there any evidence that dogs could form these sorts of attachments as well?
3: No scientific evidence, Maddie. So Part of the pleasure for me in being asked to respond to Andrew Silverman's essay was that it forced me to remember those studies that I had actually forgotten about. This was like 40 years ago that uh, this scientist was experimenting with ducklings, which is, you know, what what a lot of this kind of research was done with was was ducks Uh, experiment to see just well just how just what kinds of things can you get animals to imprint on. And so, yeah, he put um, the block, the, the, the wooden or plastic, whatever it was, block had to move. If it stayed still, they would not imprint on it. But he set up a model rail track with a block and the locomotive pulling this block along and the ducks would develop an attraction to it. But nobody has ever done anything like that with dogs. And, and we really should, because this is, you know, I'm saying to you, this is the crux of the human dog relationship. And yeah, I also have to say to you, that it's almost completely without scientific study. So we know because we live with dogs that they imprint on human beings very easily. We know because people have been doing this for at least 3000 years. It's mentioned in Homer's Odyssey. We know that ranchers have been putting dogs with livestock and that you will get that kind of relationship going on. But scientific study, There's almost nothing, almost nothing. And man, it would be so interesting to do. I think the puppies would probably knock the little block off the little railroad track. So we'd have to think of a different technology, but it wouldn't be that difficult.
0: Well, it seems like it would be a particularly relevant experiment to do today. Now that, as you mentioned in your essay, we have all these smart training devices going on the market. And in thinking about Virgin, this is obviously a sophisticated piece of technology compared with a foam cube. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on whether you think a dog might be able to develop an emotional bond with a device like that, that mimics so many aspects of human behavior.
3: If the question is, could there be conditions under which a dog could form an emotional attraction to a device like that? I think the short answer is yes. The longer answer is, what would the conditions be? So my guess would be it would be unlikely in an adult dog. And Tucker is presented as an already adult dog, if I remember correctly. I think it is much more likely in a puppy. And then the second part of the question is, well, so what would virgin or you know this machine what would be critical to virgin invoking the affection of a dog and we we don't know the answer to that Uh, we can guess from the studies that were done 50 years ago on ducklings and also i'm thinking about the studies the the very cruel studies that were done on monkeys i'm guessing delivering food would be important i suspect that The situation would develop faster if the training object was a bit more dog shaped and a bit more, you know, furry to the touch. That would be my guess. If one of your listeners has a couple of million dollars that they don't know what to do with, this would be a fantastic series of studies to do. And at the end of it, we will be offering some evil entrepreneur the raw materials with which to build machines that would act like Pied Pipers and steal dogs' affection, as, as Andrew Silverman describes in the story that prompted all this discussion. But, you know, in the hands of a, of, a, of a benign individual, this could help people to have better relationships with their dogs. It could help us to understand what our dogs really need from us, which I think a lot of dog lovers would love to know. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. You know, in the essay, Virgin is presented as helping Caro understand herself better, understand her dog better, understand Tucker's needs better. But ultimately, maybe in a more optimistic uh, scenario where this type of technology is introduced, this leads to a positive relationship uh, boost between human caregivers and their dogs.
3: Yeah, I, I could I could see that. I could see that, but I I I'm going beyond any possible, right? I'm not talking as a scientist. I'm I'm speculating beyond my data. The problem might become that if the machine is too helpful, that the human becomes a second string as as indeed in the story where ultimately the human is is edited out of the relationship altogether. And that would be the risk in a machine that's too clever, probably done well. The machine could pick up aspects of the dog-human relationship that are not particularly pleasurable for the human being. So, you know, I don't know, poop scooping, which doesn't come up in the story. But that seems to me like if, I, if somebody was offering me a magical robot, that could help me in my relationship with my beautiful dog Zephos, then poop scooping would be high on my list because there's no pleasure in that. And I don't think I don't think that would affect her relationship with me either. It's not like she's she doesn't look to me to do this. <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't react as if she's grateful that I do it. I think we do that for our fellow human beings, not for our dogs. Um but playing, I don't know. I don't know whether it would be helpful to have a machine that played with my dog. I think that that would be more likely to risk, you know, alienation of, a, of affection without relieving me of anything that I don't enjoy doing for myself anyway. So, you know, there are people developing these machines. I've, I've spoken to people, not, not a talking machine or whatever, but machines that can react and reward and train dogs and I, uh, the technology is clearly not quite at Virgin's level, but it's, in many useful ways, it's not far behind. And, and so I think in our lifetimes, we will, we will see what happens, Maddie. We will, we will actually see this play out.
0: Are any of the companies that are developing sort of real-life Virgin 1.0s, are any of them doing some of that? basic scientific research to understand how exactly is the dog responding to this device? How exactly is the emotional bond between the dog and this device or the dog and the owner being altered by the technology?
3: If they are, then they are keeping their cards very close to their chests. What I know of is that they are very interested in developing AI systems with computer vision that can see with their cameras what the dog is doing, so that the machine can train a dog to sit. Let's say so that the, the technology is is very advanced at detecting the dog's posture, uh, so that then the technology can deliver rewards if the dog carries out uh, the behaviour that's required. I'm not aware that they've investigated what kind of possible emotional state the dog is going into, but I wouldn't put it past them. They might just decide, you know, that could be commercial research that they don't want the world to know about because it it could be a fantastic age.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So one way in which Virgin is a very different caregiver than Caro is the level of freedom that, it's able to afford Tucker. I think there's a rather provocative idea in there that our pets might actually deserve more freedom than many of us can afford them, and I'm wondering if you think there's there's some truth to that.
3: Oh yeah, no, I mean it it it, it gels very strongly with my own feelings about about our lives with dogs. So. I imagine that most of the people that I talk to, that most of the people that listen to me or read what I've written, already well-meaning towards their dogs. So I imagine these are not people that are actively torturing their dogs, herding their dogs. But what people overlook is that we bring dogs into our lives because they are so emotionally rich and so emotionally available and that that enriches our lives immeasurably. But the fact that dogs are such very, very social beings means that we need to give them those opportunities to be in, in society, to be in company. And instead, people, well-meaning people, leave for work at whatever it is, 7 or 8 in the morning, lock the dog in the house all alone, and they don't come back until 6 or 7 in the evening in some cases, depending on their commute and their work and all the rest of it. And, and that, I think, is, a, is unintentional, but it is actually cruelty. It's cruel to take a highly social animal and then lock that animal into solitary confinement for many, many hours of the day. So that kind of freedom to associate, to do things... To make, to make their own decisions and be in, in human or other animal company. I think it's enormously important.
0: Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I've observed something similar traveling in Puerto Rico and other parts of Latin America, that you see a lot more dogs on the street, and these are, not, these are not homeless or ownerless dogs. These are just dogs that are let out of their homes to sort of form community amongst themselves. And that's a really, I think profound idea that these animals have some of the same basic needs that we do, and maybe by keeping them locked in our apartment all day while we're at work, we're actually depriving them of something that is needed for their happiness and well-being. Clive, if a device like Virgin did come on the market, do you think you would buy it?
3: Now, okay, well, hold on a second. If you ask me whether I would buy it, you need to know my life, right? My life is, I'm, I'm a very, very privileged person. I'm a university professor, and it got much worse during the pandemic, and now I sort of work at home more than 80% of the time. So my dog is never home alone, and, and she's never lonely, and we do things together, and I don't need to, I don't want to train her to do anything, uh, we, just, we just hang out, we're just buddies, and we just hang out. Now, if I was closer to Caro, the human in, in Andrew Silverman's great story, lots of young people Many of them live alone, you know, in many major cities, more than half the population lives alone. They do not have the liberty, either because they're students or young workers. They don't have the liberty to work from home. In those kinds of situations, when people are asking me about getting dogs, I think absolutely those kinds of people at that stage of life they definitely need to think about how to keep their dog occupied, how to protect their dog from loneliness. Because these are young folk, they're going to head off to, you know, uh, they, we have lectures at 8 o'clock in the morning. There are some students say head out for their 8 a.m. lecture, they're on campus all day, and then they're going to party almost, you know, they're out of the house for, well, God knows, you know, 15 hours a day. It's very hard. I mean, those kinds of people. I typically try and talk them out of getting dogs. I don't think a dog fits into that kind of life. But if your life is closer to that than it is to my life of lounging around the house almost the whole time, then um, then something like Virgin would be a great help and would be a fantastic idea. So I'm not against the principle, but you, ask, but it would. I wouldn't for myself in this point in my life. I would not.
0: Be a great idea as long as it doesn't ultimately decide to whisk your dog away because it's a better caregiver than than you are. (laughs) Well, I think we're going to have to leave things there. Clive Wynn is a behavioral scientist and the author of Dog is Love, Why and How Your Dog Loves You. Dr. Wynn, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Maddie, I had such a great time. Thank you.
0: And that's all for this episode of Future Tense Fiction a monthly podcast featuring short stories from Future Tense and Arizona State University's Center for Science and the Imagination about how technology and science will change our lives. Tiara Darnell is our lead producer, editor, and sound designer. Production and editorial assistance from Mia Armstrong Lopez, Tori Bosch, and Micah Espinosa. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of Slate Audio. Virgin was written by Andrew Silverman, read by Peggy O'Neill, and edited by Andres Martinez. The other editors on the Future Tense Fiction team are Joey Eschrick, Ed Finn, and Tori Bosch. I'm your host, Maddie Stone. We'll see you in the future.